Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop, located in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette, and sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. As the chopper descended towards the earth, I felt my heart skyrocket. I flipped down my PBS 14s and stood up behind Staff Sergeant Wright. As the bird put down, there seemed to be an excessive amount of debris in the air. Everything slowed way down for me, which seemed odd. This is the altered speed of the mind, which is common and is called tachypsychia. For someone affected by tachypsychia, time perceived by the individual lengthens, making the time seem like slow motion or the opposite, speeding it up, making objects contrast and pass like a speeding blur. For me, everything felt like slow motion for the first few minutes of the drop. As soon as the bird touched down, Wright was stepping off the ramp with me right on his ass. Then the shit hit the fan. I ran right into the back of him. I remember thinking, what in the fuck is he still doing in front of me? He was supposed to button hook and get out of the way, start a perimeter. We'd practiced it about a thousand times the last few days. That's when I realized that the excessive debris in the air was in fact water from the LZ that was flooded that I just stepped off the bird onto. I flooded poppy field. I landed on Staff Sergeant Wright and the rest of the stick on top of the both of us. The Taliban had flooded the fields expecting our arrival, presumably. <clears throat> Picture 48 Marines all piled up in a muddy damn mess that's only about 15 by 15. Misery started to set in. Welcome to the suck, as they say. Not only was the flooded was it a flooded poppy field, but it was literally swallowing my, my Marines. Before I knew it, I was about knee-deep trying to trudge out of the mess, all the while trying to keep my rifle clean enough to fire. Of the almost 50 Marines on my stick, Staff Sergeant Wright, Corporal Bennett, my point man Wetzel, and I were the only ones to make it out of the mud initially and get to dry ground. Dry ground was only about 15 meters in any direction from the center of the mud hole. Not your textbook insert. Once on the ground, I started to get my bearing back and time began to speed up considerably. Everything happened so fast but I remember the bird finally taking off after, after the last Marine disembarked. As I watched him pull into the night sky, there were traces, tracers from enemy fire coming from the ground and the sky all over. I also saw several IR canisters dropped from the AC-130 gunship and a couple of huge circles illuminating the whole area of operation. This was something to that, to that point in my career I had not seen before. That same AC-130 would be the bearer of bad news about 20 minutes later. And that is an excerpt out of my new book, Lions of Margin. And we're going to talk about that insert tonight. And, um, you know, Matt, I'm going to get your perspective. And I got some questions on, you know, what was going through your mind, um, you know, as we started to descend. Uh, you know, the two-minute call went out and then 30-second call went out. Nods come down. Guys stand up. And, you know, it was like the second that we stepped off, everything was instantly wet, instantly just completely fucked up uh, beyond recognition. The old food bar adage, right? And it was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, it was and it would be one thing if you disembarked off of the aircraft like that 
and you didn't have technical vehicles to the south of you firing at your chopper as it pulled away. Right. Because you'd be like, this is bad, but it's not that bad. Or if it was daylight and they dropped us in mud, it probably wouldn't have been as bad either. Correct. That just adds a whole, of course, I mean, it's, it's night. Correct. Always. Correct. And so, um, and so, yeah, that got bad. And, and the book details how the, how the evolution out of the mud happened. But I just like to get, you know, from my perspective, um, but from your perspective, uh, like you were a little ways further back in the chalk. So I was third or fourth off the bird. So I was right behind y'all because I was in the center with someone in my, in between my legs. But I, I think they, I think I made them get behind me. Okay. I always like being next to the gate, baby. Always. Um, <coughs> you can see everything. I'll just say that was probably the worst day of my life. That was a bad day. I mean, this this mud guy, it was insane. It wasn't just mud. It was like sinking sand. I mean, I mean, we literally almost lost people to the mud. Like uh, we had um, Michael Grimes on here just the other night, and uh, and he's telling about how he had to help save, you know, one of my my saw gunners. Uh, Rocolo. He went face down in the mud, got hit in the back, boom, his pack landed on him, and he was face down, face in the mud when he got pulled up out of it. And uh, just wild, wild couple of minutes. And literally, it was only a couple of minutes before we got people, you know, maybe five. Yeah, it wasn't even. Five, six minutes. But it seemed like hours. Yeah, and when there's, you know, when gunfire coming from the ground. And um, And I don't remember that. I think I had auditory exclusion. Yeah. Until uh, when the chopper took off. You went from the loudest thing you've ever heard to silence to silence. And I was like, well, okay then. Yeah. And now you can't hear, you couldn't hear me yelling, you know, what the fuck at the top of my lungs whenever, and now it's whenever like I'm wanna... face first in the mud and I pick my head up in my, I actually wasn't wearing MBGs, which is what's a mistake that I made. Um, I was actually wearing the, the, oh, you had the thermals. minis on. Yep. And uh, little depth perception issues. Well, I would have had it with night vision too, but maybe I hadn't trained with those very long, so it might have. So you might have had a little depth perception issues. Maybe so. Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially with a twenty-four inch drop coming off the right. off and of the forty-seven in straight in the mud. Just and I mean, I tore my pants open as I think we talked about. Oh yeah, the, from the from the crotch, crotch to the ankle, we had yeah. several guys that the mud just ripped them off, ripped their clothes off. I mean, this I mean, this was insane. As I came, well. Well, I guess I'll get to that and I'll try and do it in order. But as soon as I hit the ground, someone, whoever was coming behind me, and maybe one day we'll figure out who was behind me. And uh, Likely somebody in your team. Likely. It might have been Wetzel. He might have. That might be the reason he got out of there. I don't know. He might have been able to walk across me because I got forced into the mud even further. He got punished. Yeah. And then the rest of the stick is coming over that. Dude, (laughs) man. I remember getting out and getting to like dry ground and i remember thinking all he had to do was glide the door on the ground for another 30 feet and we got out dry (laughs) and we're in a perimeter and we're set right and it's like (laughs) oh i held a lot of anger for that for a long time man like oh my god if that if that army pilot's out there and he eventually listens to this just to let you know I will punch you in the teeth one day. I'm just telling you that right It'll now. It'll be because we love you. And, and I'll buy you a beer right after I punch you in the teeth. But you're getting that one. You had that one coming, yeah. is what he's saying. And I know. They landed it on GP. They landed it on a 10-digit crit. That's all it was. And they didn't deviate because of the IED threat. Because at one point in the Intel briefs, I remember hearing, we'll be lucky if they don't land on an IED. Or we oh don't step on one off of the off of the bird. So yeah. 
I mean, I understand. I'm just playing around, kind of. He's still got a punch coming. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> no, but really, so, um, and then that morning was, I mean, that didn't, it didn't get much better after that. And we finally get everybody out. And I think out of 54 people, we had six weapons that could fire um, because people's mm-hmm. barrels were caked from the muzzle to the chamber. Um, it, and, and that, you know, didn't, didn't, you know, I guess expect it. Where Learn that lesson, even though you're in the desert and it hasn't rained in ages. Put the condom on the yeah, barrel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's lesson true. learned, bro. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, put the condom on the barrel and treat it like you're going into a flooded poppy field because it happened to us. Right. Um, yeah, that's a. I never, I never actually thought about that because yeah, that would have saved a lot of heartache that day. Oh my goodness! I think, I, and I I think I mean, my ejection port was was mudded up. Like if I hadn't got it before it started to dry, we might have never got that weapon working. I mean, it was bad, and then. You know, to compound the issue, you know, we go into it, in the, I go into it a lot in the book and, you know, a lot more detail, but to compound the issue, we have, um, I, I, my arrow is stuck in the mud and his radio chirps off and it's the, um, it's the AC 130, uh, it's the AC 130 and, uh, it's barking down to us and it's two, two, Hey, be advised. You got enemy element, platoon size, small arms and machine guns headed your way from the North. And boom, we look up to the north and like the next field out, maybe, you know, three, four hundred meters out was a field, but it had the round bales uh, in it of hay or straw or whatever right. the hell they had. Poppy, Poppy stems, whatever it was, but it was um, round bales and you could just see them like rats coming at us, scurrying from. And you could see the RPG sticking up because, I mean, that that thing dropped those canisters and it lit up. the. It was, I think the canisters, when I looked it up, light up almost a square click. It's like 700 by 700. Like daylight, boom, and you could see everything. I wouldn't know. And uh, <laughs> well, my fault. Work harder. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was like that was one of those things that everybody heard, and then I could just look down in the mud, know that I got six weapons that I know we can use, and I'm like, all right, all right. So we might still have even numbers, right? And uh, not still, really. Still outnumbered. Regardless, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, obviously outnumbered at that point. Clearly, six to a platoon, easy day, and uh, not really. So I started. I'm like, this isn't happening right now, and we got the arrow, and I think two Bravo and the arrow talked together, and and then um, we had skids on station, uh, Cobra Cobra section, and they pushed from an IP, and as they're coming down, as they're coming down, I'm late, like in my in my sights on these guys, and. Uh, I start seeing the firefly, firefly, infrared firefly flicker on the chest. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's friendly, 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 friendly. And then so the arrow calls them off, aborts them, and ah, you know the choppers. Like something out of a movie, go back up to their to their holding pattern, to the IP, and it's like, oh, my God. You know, like, like okay, this would have been awesome. You know, minute seven, international incident, 30 Afghans and killed in a. We, we don't have those numbers to rely on either. When on the ground, because those are good, those are our guns, you know. Right. That's, and then we have to get medevacs in there and make sure they don't land in the mud. I just, oh, dude, this just, is all coming into my mind right now, just thinking about it. Oh, catastrophe, <laughs> catastrophe. And then if you remember, that field, that area is where the enemy came from and hit us when the sun came up. Right back there, um, right back there where, you know, Woundy, yeah, and, that was, Woundy and those guys landed in the field behind us. And that tree line and that set of compounds was where um where we got some right uh i will say 
I know you remember it because we talked about it the other day, but when I was, I think it had to have been after the chopper left because you're not going to hear me when the chopper's still there, but I yelled at the top of my lungs, I fucking quit. (laughs) And you were like, you can't quit. You can't quit. And I said, I don't really quit, but I felt good to say. (laughs) Just wanted to say it because I knew it was impossible. Right. You can't quit in the middle of 2 o'clock in the morning. We're not quitting. (laughs) We're not quitting, dude. We haven't been shot at. We haven't found the people we're supposed to kill. Um, Yeah. It did kind of, it kind of broke my mind. I mean, that was, I mean, when you do on off drills, you know, for a week, making them flawless and, and putting the time in. And I mean, I say a week, that was just what we did right before, but you know, we were prepared, we were ready. And then you come out and you have that, that Murphy's wrench come flying in and bam, your whole plan gets, you know, shattered to pieces. I mean, and that's, and that's a big thing for the leaders. Uh, I look at two Bravo in that situation and, you know, just as I, yeah, rock solid, man, just as I started, you know, fell myself, it's not like I felt like I was slipping, but I mean, it, it was a little bit of a desperate situation. And I'm like, okay, like we're going to do this. I'm going to bring in anything I have to do this and, and we'll get it done. But it's not ideally what I wanted to happen. I mean, that's not the insert that mm-hmm. I had pictured in my head. And um, two Bravo's like, so fucking what? Get them out of the mud. We're about to move. You know, you know, right, like yes. get your head back in it because it's and um uh, no big deal. Just, just and get it that done. day it was like boom, there it is. Because the, the calm, his calm, my calm. After after the situation started to pan out, everybody was calm. Right. And uh, if you go to if you go to start freaking out, do that shit in your head. Uh, if you're in a leadership situation, because when you start doing that overtly, you're gonna, it, it, it's contagious. It's a contagious thing. So um, that's a big lesson for that one, uh, in my opinion. So anyway, I want to get back to. You so uh, we're out of the mud now. Uh, crisis averted. We didn't ambush our own friendly uh, Afghan troops, and uh, they're still a ways out. And we need to get some cover. Um, we needed to get to our foothold building on 608, which was the main MSR coming uh, into Marja. And then our mission would be to overwatch the city of Shiniwal as one of our partner platoons from the company. Uh, second was it second platoon or first? It was Franco's platoon and Harms as they moved through. I think you were third platoon. Third we platoon. platoon. Third platoon, I meant. Yeah, third platoon. Yeah, and so as they moved through Shinnywall, we had to overwatch and make sure that there wasn't reinforcements coming down the MSR to backfill on them. And if I have the platoon numbers wrong, I'm sorry. It's been 10 years. So <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's in the book. We can check it there. Right. Um, yeah, get but, the book to find out for sure. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so we work up to our foothold building. Everything's under the cover of darkness, something like 3 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, something like that. And now I've got Marines that are all soaking wet, all caked with mud. Some of them are slipping into hypothermia uh, rather quickly and, and getting and getting extremely cold rather quickly. And all of our rifles, you know, except for six, are in desperate need of some TLC. And, and some CLP. And some CLP. <laughs> yeah, that ain't a lot. <laughs> and so um, we take our foothold building that we just like threw a dot at on the map and said we, we should not a dot. We strategically picked it, but it wasn't like we knew it had a water well. And so by the grace of God, this thing has a water well in the middle of it with like an infinite supply of clean water. And so the Marines are like dropping the bucket down, filling the bucket up, bringing the bucket up, washing four or five rifles, getting them clean, punching the bores, washing magazines, washing 
stuff out. And, and it was insane. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that there's. Yeah, what were we going to, what were we have? I mean, it would have just been punching mud and at that point. Um, yeah, it sucks, but you got to do it. We patch it, punch it, and patch it with rods. And But the water helped out. We got every everybody clean. We got the weapons up, which was a big thing by sunup. And uh, we didn't receive contact at all in the field. We didn't receive <clears throat> contact at all in our building and, and under the cover of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do remember it took us a little bit to egress or not egress but to actually get to the building because we had they mine sweep we had to mine sweep all that, the way up to it so yeah. we only had like an hour or two before the sun and i think you could kind of get that that low light situation and we had to clean the building out and all that which at that point i was it's in rare form to say the least you went somewhere else yeah. in your mind in my mind for a second yeah and that's okay sometimes you do that you gotta, luckily we had you know, you're a good squad leader, and Bennett was an excellent team leader too. So, I mean, we had crime. So, we had other team leaders. Um, I'm not saying I abandoned my team, but I had to just I mean, had to take in, a moment. I for mean, myself. you were in bad shape with with uh, with the hypothermia situation because now we're a couple hours in, and you guys are freezing. It's about 38 degrees and sleeting. Well, at least it did the next the next couple of nights. I don't know if it sleeted that night, but we're soaked anyway. Right. You know, I remember getting to the foothold and linking up with LT and the other squads and like everybody's in warm, dry, clean frog suits. And all of us are just looking at them. Like we just came out of the pits of hell. And they're like, everybody just looked at us. Like we'd already been through it. And it was like, no dude, we're so cold right now. You don't even know. Don't right. Even know. And you know, we packed so much ammo that we didn't pack. No, I, there was no I, warming layers. I had my green. I wore my green sweatshirt. Me too. Like that's what that I got was the of. warmest thing I took. And now it's soaking wet. So you're, Double screwed. Done. Right. And so I could use um, a wetsuit right now. That's what I could use. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Four mil, please. Yes. Uh no, so bad situation. I started having guys really start to get, you know, uncontrollable shakes and shivers, blue lips. And so called over Charette and he was one of them in bad shape. I said, Hey, get the four guys that are hurting the worst, start a fire inside that compound and smoke that and, you know, try not to smoke it out, but get them in there and get them warm. You know, no, Doc when, actually ended up starting it for us. Okay, so because Doc actually, Fowler, uh, yeah, um, yeah, he was uh, he was monitoring us to make sure we didn't need to be medevac or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was a it was a real we situation. We didn't stay in there very long. Maybe you know, maybe five ten minutes, and I was I was a brand new man. Could have yeah. used a new pair of pants, but I was a brand new man. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it doesn't take much to get you back off the just a little sip of water and a little bit of heat, and you're you're ready to off go. Off the you training, know. you know, there was a lot of emotions, a lot of nerves mixed in with uh with that for a lot of the younger guys too that were, you know, there. So we got them in there, we got them warmed up, started a little rotation. Before I want to the, say it was me and Colo in there the longest probably. You guys didn't have pants so. Yeah, I, well, and I don't know if you remember as I was walking out of the mud. That's what I as I was laughing about earlier. As I was walking, I finally get up. I get out of it. I'm on the I'm on the path. I'm like, thank you. Solid ground. <laughs> solid ground never felt so good. Love solid ground. <laughs> I hear Bennett yelling at Makowitz. Well, you better go back and get it. What are you gonna do? They're not bringing you another one. He had, had the mud was so it had sucked on him so bad that it sucked his boot off his foot. Yeah. And I remember turning around like, well, I'm not going back for it. Like. That dude needs to go find his boot. Yeah, he, <laughs> he should have laced it. up a little bit tighter at this point. <laughs> yeah, I told y'all to lace up too. <laughs> and uh, did he get it? I don't remember that. He like dove in 
as I remember. And he one day we'll have him on, but we'll get and get him to tell the story. But he had to have gotten it. I don't. Yeah, I mean, he was walking around with two when the sun came up, so I guess. Or he, else he had another one in there, and he pulled old righty righty tidy out of the backpack. I guess if, if he had just the one, that would be uh, pretty. Pretty, I mean, he would probably No, I'm saying he probably had an extra pair of boots in his backpack. If he did, then I'm gonna kid it. I'm gonna beat his ass next time we see him. He's been carrying more ammo. <laughs> Spread the love, man. Ten years later, still salty. Still salty. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy situation. But yeah, I just thought that was funny that it was just, and I think we weren't the only one. I think the more fucked yeah. up it got, the more people started relaxing, just like whatever. Like we're gonna get out. And like because. You have this, you know, and maybe you didn't. I had this beautiful vision of what would happen. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we would yeah, come yeah. down, high speed off the gate, set the perimeter. Oh, go, go, go. Pick it off. up. Yeah, man. Maybe we fight. Maybe, maybe we fight. Maybe they're ready. Yeah. No. Thank God. They weren't ready. And then when that happened, everybody <laughs> was just like, all right, well, fuck this. Whatever's next. I don't care. Just right. tell me where to go. <laughs> like, it got to the point where. There's so much trash everywhere that, well, using the metal detectors kind of like where we landed was pretty much pointless. And all of their land bridges had metal in them, yeah. like to help out structural integrity, you know, wise. <clears throat> and so it was like, we start to minesweep anywhere we would minesweep. Beep, 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 beep. It's like, really? That's not working. Pack that thing up, dude. Watch where you step. Tap the bridges twice. Hold on to your junk. Like, yeah, and so it became stupid early, and we hadn't even mitigated the known or highly suspected minefield on the other side of six over eight. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, we get into the foothold, and then it was... Once yeah. everybody got warm and everybody had clean weapons, the confidence level went through the roof. Right. Everybody's like, okay. And, and then they're... And the sun came up. And they were a little extra mad, at least, right. at least our... Yeah. Don't shoot it. They, they our chalk was a little extra, a little extra salty about about the present we had. Right. If you initiate contact on us for the entire fire, you know the entire battle, you're gonna stir the hornets and stuff. That's what happened. Yeah, I know. That's what happened. They, yeah. So Franco's clearing out Shinny Wall. We're covering the MSRP and everything's fine. And I get a clack from uh, E Man over the radio, and he's like, "Joe Sod Rogers." I'm like, "Joe, sir." And he's like, yo, get that APOB out here. Got IED on the bridge. We're going to set it up for later. Roger, sir. So I get the engineers, get the APOB packs out. And APOB's an anti-personnel obstacle breaching system. It's a dual backpack system that fires out. It, it comes with a little rocket, right? And then you attach the little rocket with like a D-ring or some, some little clamp to this tether cord that has like engineer cord with 144 yeah, frag, frag, like frag grenades. grenades. Either 140 or 144. Yeah, so you set the two backpacks up. They're all hooked together. The, the, the cords are hooked together. And then, and then, and so what it's used for is to, is, is to clear an obstacle, right? So for us, right on the land bridge that we had to use to support for uh, third platoon, was right. it third? Yeah, um, to support them, there was a uh, command wire IED, I mean yeah. blatant. 20 pound jug, ammonium nitrate and aluminum anal um, right on top of the bridge. And then you could expect uh, from years in Iraq and, and different places that um, the the possibility was high, that there was two or three more buried. Oh yeah. Right around it. Secondaries. Oh yeah. Yeah. Secondary and tertiary IDs. And and a lot of times that was the tactic was 
let's set one that is obvious that they can see. And that as they try to mitigate that or, or whatever, as they try to come up to it, maybe the egress routes from it, maybe, you know, whatever, maybe they expected it to be trucks coming through there and they didn't know. Or they but expected then they have, us to be in Shinnewall and come across the bridge to secure the bridge because they know the bridge is, is our right. is an objective for us. Right. And they had car. command wire running to our side of the road to a building. Right. And so we cleared that out. They they bailed. Right. So they they bugged out probably when 36 helicopters landed in their backyard and they were like, ah, we'll fight them. We'll get that in. We'll get back to that. We're going to take a different approach. You right. know, uh, just for those uh, folks who might not know anal. When he said it earlier, that's uh, aluminum and ammonia together. No, um, yeah, ammonium nitrate. Ammonium aluminum. nitrate, yeah. Yep. So that's a- what they A-N-A-L. made. Homemade, uh, homemade explosive, so we just call it anal for short. Anal for short. And uh, anal will ruin your life, we found out. That yeah. It packs a punch. So, and um, But yeah, so command wire. Yeah, so, bridge, yeah, so I mean, it was just a, it was a regular tactic, though, from the last 10 years of war and being in and out of Iraq. It, you know, we're going to bury one two, three in a big array. And then we're going to put up one that they can see to suck them in. And they started, they, you know, they knew our tactics, man. We publish them. You know, we talk about everything. So and they want, they're always watching and they're always watching. They're always watching, always watching. And, uh, and we have, I, I write about it. I mean, they would know how many people left on, left the wire at exactly what time and what they were wearing. And, um, so we played games of cat and mouse with them throughout the deployment, like where we'd take 28 guys out and send 14 of them back at sundown so they couldn't count them. Right. And then they come scurrying about. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so now it is we're going to use the APOB shot to shoot straight over the command at IED. And if there's anything within, you know, three to six feet of that, hopefully sympathetically detonated. Right. Without, hopefully not blow up the bridge. Without losing structural integrity of the bridge that we have to use to cross. Because the bridge, underneath the bridge, was the same exact water and mud that we've just dealt with. And I'm, I'm not about that life. 100%. <laughs> and I think it was way deeper than us. Yeah, over yeah. a couple hundred pounds. So yeah, we weren't making that. We would have had to go down the road to the uh, secondary. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing to bring up. Uh, well, we talked about that last time about in the planning. The yeah, the planning phase. And I can't, yeah, I want to talk about it again. I can't stress enough how important it is as a leader to two things a be humble and b go to your guys you know see how your guys want to want to feel out the situation um it's one thing to be a leader and be like hey this is what we're doing because i said okay great what if you asked your team leaders to come in or in this case your squad leaders by your lieutenant to come in and your and your your platoon sergeant and say hey this is what we got and you know he 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 presented us with two options right Right. And to discuss. And it was open to a third option if it would have come up. But I mean, it wasn't too many right. what are ways we, what to are go. What are we going to do? Carry a man, a man portable bridge? Like, well, we didn't have them. Right. Or we so, would have, you know. But uh, so, yeah. So he brought us in and he really took it. I, I just remember thinking that. And, and we're the same age, but, you know, he's a first lieutenant at the time. And I'm a sergeant at the time. And I have been over to Iraq and I've been on these different deployments. And, I never had a commander when I was a squad leader. I did multiple squads overseas and I never had a commander do that. Call me in and say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? All right. Where are you, where are you at on this? Right. And then look at the next guy, Hey, where are you at on this? And I just, I always remember appreciating that because it, it showed me that, yeah, he probably let, you know, either one of those choices that, that he boiled it down to, we would probably been okay. 
but he wanted to bring our, us in for our input. And, and I just always appreciated that. So um, it's a good leadership trait. Uh, you don't, you don't have to um, exclude your guys. I mean, you're all, you're all in this together. So um, I always love that about him. So for sure. And, and it wasn't just that time. I mean, it happened throughout the deployment. Like he just wanted you to run your business. So, okay. So we're in the foothold building still. And um, we make first contact. Um, drop a couple guys in the tree line, myself and Simmery hit them, follow that tree line north. We got guys now with RPGs, got RPGs flying over our building. Right. Um, and guys, this, this is in much greater detail in the book, but I wanted to hit the tops right here. Some of the lessons learned for guys out there that can put that knowledge to use still and just do a quick overview. Um, you have to get the book to get the full details. But so the next thing we do, I don't know if it was a platoon from third or, or our own, but. Somebody called in for a big bomb and needed to reduce a building. And after two flybys without being able to catch the target in the pop, that third one got it. Mm -hmm. And um, I was actually helping the, uh, I was helping Posh, the uh, forward air controller. Our fact, yeah. Yeah, I was helping him try and do that. And that was, that was Captain Backus, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, Captain yep. Backus. I could not think of his name there yeah, for a second. Yeah, he did a stellar job on that deployment, um, being a pilot, you know, attached to us and put in some situations that, well, all of us had never been in before, like right. bad situations, and he was able to get the air on top of us every time. I mean, there were times that the air couldn't fire for one reason or another when we were alone, but anytime we had posh, that it, it came in, yeah. you know, and it came in nice. So um, one thing we realized in the... In the book, or in, in the book, I'm going to talk about it and read a short passage. But one thing we realized was the fact that the enemy in Marja didn't understand long range weapons. Um, they didn't understand high Mars that just showed up out of nowhere, broke a sound barrier, and reduced a building. I don't know if we understood high Mars really. I don't know if I still understand <laughs> high Mars. I know it's very big and accurate within the three feet if you do it right. Right. If you do it right. And so. Uh, even jets, fixed wing jets, they didn't understand them. They had like chalk drawings of um, choppers being shot down by RPGs. There was no drawings of fixed wing jets. There was no A-10 drawings. They didn't understand these weapons. Well, you're not going to catch that with an RPG anyway, so. Yeah, I guess well, so. I mean, you're going to have to be I guess all the, <laughs> all, all the fellas that seen those ones didn't live to draw it on the walls, I and guess. And there's that, isn't there? And then there's that. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Okay, so a short passage from the book. Uh, following the air attack, the battlefield went quiet for a bit. We call this a lull in the fight. I would conclude many months later that the enemy just did not understand weapons such as fixed wing aircraft, surface-to-surface -surface rockets, and long-range weapons. The furthest out they can reach us is from about 1,500 meters. That's with their machine guns and sniper rifles. We could drop bombs from the air, fire high Mars and artillery from distances that exceeded 90 clicks. The HIMAR is a M142 high mobility artillery rocket system. We used HIMARS a few times during the deployment and when they were fired from several miles away from Camp Leatherneck. And um, so, not knowing what that weapon system is, if you're part of the Taliban fighting us and then, unbeknownst to you, 90 clicks away, these guys are spinning up a mission um, to come to your building. And when you think about it like that, um, that's another thing we can get into after this is just the support that we had there oh. and how none of this happens without all the support. 
Um, there's often stigmas, you know, you hear the pogue talk go around, the grunt talk go around, personnel other than grunts. We have the little intra-squad feuds and things of that nature, but when it came down to it, in a place where we needed help, we got our help, right. and we got it on time and delivered effectively. And that was everything from food to ammo to support trucks to anything we asked for, right? within reason, I mean. Within reason, yeah, and, and as long as it was, uh, you know, we may have had to wait a little bit, but yeah, they got it for us, you know. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And I mean, I mean, in my, in my opinion, uh, in my estimation, the Taliban didn't understand our sniper rifles. No. Um, our snipers could hit them from so far. I mean, they just didn't understand it. It's all like all of a sudden, boom, somebody's down and they shut a battlefield down. I mean, <clears throat> for a while. Yeah. Like they would reconsolidate and be like, hey, we didn't understand what that was. The finger of God came out of the sky and Anybody flicked Anybody see what happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'll be honest with you. When we called High Mars in after Vokola was shot on the wall on the second day, you just want to cover the second day. I mean, we can push right now. I mean, we can get into it. Um, that way, it gives it some sort of order. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess we can hold that. We're getting into it right now, I guess. Yeah, we um, I mean, we can fast forward. Day one just pretty much concluded after we dropped that bomb. The battlefield kind of fell quiet. We popped a pods um, across the bridge, the, the first bridge, and. Yeah. Uh, Popped A-POBs and cleared a path. It did sympathetically detonate a secondary underneath. Um, and then we walked through, we walked across the bridge and took a stroll over to the, where the company main was at now. Through a quote-unquote uh, suspected minefield or I, a field of IEDs that they thought we might have uh, been there. But you'll hear more about that movement uh, in uh, Grimes' ex- episode when we released yep, that too. Yep, so, we, did a, we did a good episode yeah, talking, giving different, different perspectives of... The squad when going through a mini. And he had a pretty good overview of the the APOP shot that not, that we did because we were the ones providing security for it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so we mitigate the minefield. I remember that night. You know, I linked up with Company Main from the from the squad. We got the link up, and uh, and we filtered into a very large compound within Shinny Wall that the Company Main had taken over. And uh, I remember Sergeant Harms. There's always Harms, yeah. always Harms, right? Um. Arms link up with me and show me where we were birthing, show me what everything was going on, catch me up on where the COC was going to be located and where I could find, you know, X, Y, and Z for my guys, where we were sleeping, that, that kind of stuff. And we'd only be sleeping a couple hours, but we needed a spot. So we got there and got you guys laid down. And I remember getting you guys laid down. So, you know, get, get some chow in your gut, you know, um, top off all your magazines, you know, uh, clean your clean your weapons. Make sure your gear squared away. Brush your teeth. Change your socks. You know the the things that you're gonna do. Yeah. You know, take care of your weapon. Take you care of your gear. It, take care of yourself. You're, you're blasted. You can't. You know, you're tired. You want to. You want to lay down. You still gotta. You gotta do it. Of course, I didn't change my socks because I only brought one extra pair, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah, pull well, that card yet. Well, and in the book you'll read about how I preached a lot of stuff and then end up not changing my socks either. Paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um. However, I remember that night we laid down. We got down. They were like, here's your birthing. It was an open piece of sand. Right. Check. Maybe next to a little wall where our heads were. A, yeah. A very little wall. Like a, like a shin-high wall. Yeah. And right behind that were the 60-millimeter mortars. Yep. Who, uh, right after the whole squad fell asleep, decided to sink their base plates for one time. And uh, then nobody was asleep. At all. No, I'm pretty sure I, uh, I fell asleep after that. After they sank it, but 
the rest of the squad was still sleeping. Me and you were still talking, but yeah, they were all risen quickly. The guns came out pretty quick. I will say, I yeah. like it's like impressed. no, 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 chill, 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 chill. <laughs> Be quiet. It's okay. It's okay. It's our stuff. Our stuff. Like, I know. I know. Rough really, day. <laughs> really, you didn't have enough time to sink those base plates when uh, daylight during daylight when right. we were fighting the enemy. Right. Why were they? Well, they were with us though. True. Well, some of them, I don't know who that team was behind us, but they were, they were with us. Actually, there's a good uh, video on YouTube. First them. Hours of yeah. Marja. Yeah, that's a good... I just remembered that one. That's a good... Um, yeah, First Hours of Marja. Type that in the search bar on YouTube. You'll see a little bit of that whole first day, one of the first compounds we're at. I'm in there's the video a, here. I think you can see you in the video. No, you can't see me. You can hear me. I was calling for fire that's on right. those guys in the RPG or whatever it was they were shooting at us back there. Yeah, pretty good uh, mortar. Uh, team working, working the gun, yep, you know, yep, um, yep, absolutely. Owens and some of those guys just absolutely doing great work. Short video, but it'll give you a little bit of concept. That's first hours of margin. Um, but we got kind of lucky because we had, not, you, could, you could consider it lucky or unlucky, but I liked them. We had um, some combat correspondents uh, attached to us and not going to mention their names or anything like that, but they did, they did good by us with the amount of chaos that was going on. They were able to document some really great things that helped out later, either both with the book and now with the podcast and with guys and memories and, and just things of that nature. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things, and we've already talked about this with doing the podcast like this, is putting this knowledge out there. I mean, Jocko Willinks is doing it uh, um, cleared hot. A, a lot of these guys are just doing great things. And the more stories that we can get out there to show the American people, the ones that want to know and maybe even some of the ones that didn't even know they wanted to know get into it. And they're like, Oh my goodness, you know, because uh, we need to bridge that military civilian divide. Um, yeah. You're going to hear us talk about that a lot. That's going to be, we're not going to say it just once. It's huge. It's huge. It's a must. And you know, um, if we can do that by getting, getting these guys on here, telling their story, spreading good knowledge for veterans and good knowledge for guys that have been downrange. Um, that's the whole point. The whole point is, you know, if we can help one guy, I don't care how many episodes do a hundred. If I help one person, well, then it makes it worth it to me. Yeah. And so this is a passion project and that's what it's geared at. Um, but yeah, so we get back over to the book. So uh, Valentine's Day was it Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Yeah. So Reveille's like zero four. I get called up to uh, CLT and we're going to go over the battle plan for the day. He tells me the order of movement. We're like last, second to last or something. And um, we were going to be moving to the point so we could go find where there was a master bomb maker um, and some, some bad dudes that I guess they wanted us to go get. But the big deal was the land bridge and the bazaar right? so that we can control entry or, or whatever. And, not whatever. I mean, so we can control entry to the city yeah, and control was, who comes in and that out. That was the Mev Objective 2. I mean, that bridge was Mev Objective 2, so we could secure the Bazaar, the MSR, and yep. all that, and run them through the north uh, part of Marja. Yep. And then it cuts out that off from, you know, uh, vulnerabilities or, you know, attack avenues coming from the east out towards Five Points, which is where we would ultimately end up. Right. Um, where the fighting went. But, um, so, so... I get to I get to the squad. I brief the team leaders. Hey, this is what's going on. Sun starts to come up around like whatever six five thirty six o'clock, and the front of the column begins to move out. Uh, and here we are because of dispersion purposes and the, the threat of IEDs. You know, 
one person goes out and then it's like 30 seconds, maybe 40 seconds. Another person goes out and we got to wait for like, you know, you know, 50 people to get out. Yeah. 30 more, people at least to get out. In front of us. Yeah. And so finally, finally we get out and what's crazy is I, I always relate it to the, um, the Marine Corps commercial from back in the day where all the Marines are getting off of their, you know, tracks and their tanks and their choppers and like, they're all running into the fight, right? They're they're literally running into the fight, and they're like, Marines, we go into the fight. And they probably weren't even Marines in the uh, commercial. Regardless, that's what it felt like, because when the sun came up, they started banging up there with Lieutenant Neff and some of those guys from that platoon up there. And the next thing you know, you know, we're coming out, and the next thing you know, we're going right at that fire, and we're ready. I mean, we wanted to get to the fight. We wanted to get there to help them. Um you could, at first it was just small arms, pop, 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 pop. And then you'd hear them release a, you know, release a burst. Doom, doom, mortars, RPGs. And uh, we get like halfway there and we can start to see the smoke billow. And now we can start to see the battlefield a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the order was like, pick it up. Because mm-hmm. it was like, it was like a fast walk. And then it was like, hey, we're getting close. It's time to pick it up. And everybody started doing that trot. And everything I, I always think about in my mind, um, it always makes me think about the same thing when, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, um, I think it's Troy. No, no. Is it Troy with Achilles? Yeah. yeah. Where Achilles and his guys are taking the beach and they're running and then it's like they're running faster than they're running faster and then it's all on. We just didn't have swords and shit like that. We had guns and right. rockets. But anyway. Just as cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I got cold chills doing it. <clears throat> but it was like 38 because it could have been that too. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I think it might have been colder than that that day. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome to see not one bit of hesitation in the 30 dudes in front of you. They said, pick it up. Everybody passed the arm sig- hand and arm signals back and the Marines are in and out. Right. And, uh, and they're coming at you hot. <clears throat> and it wasn't long after that before we were not seeing the battlefield, but we were on the battlefield. And right. we were told to move to the point of the company or at least of the platoon at the time, but then ultimately... And it was kind of weird because of the way the, the, the battlefield was laid out. I can still remember that first was to our left, and we were basically front, and then we had that long, big, uh, that big field. I mean, oh, yeah. just 800,000 meters to the next just set a of com- buildings. Yeah, complete open steep, you know, open step. across there, and it's like... That's where they were, though. Yeah. And so it's like, we got weapons that can shoot that far. Roger that. We'll post up here. You, it's like and we drew it, our lines, essentially. It was, pretty good. it was a pretty good area to kind of to kind of oh, hold up. And, and there's something to be said about that. I mean, when you look at the way they, I mean, these people have been at war for thousands of years, right? And like, so if you look at their compounds, they're built for that. They have a courtyard compound surrounding their inner compound, their courtyard wall. And these walls are anywhere from 20 to 30 inches thick of hard packed beginning of time mud that you can hit with uh we found out later multiple times you can shoot a law rocket at it and get scored direct hit and they'll bark back right out right out of the battle i remember the engineers that attached to us when we were still at dwyer they actually had remember when we went out to the the squad range Mm -hmm. which we i think we had talked about but i remember we watched the engineers or maybe eod and they were trying to create charges to blow holes in the mud, and they pretty much were like, "We can't carry enough explosives." For yeah, that. Like, you get is, one, this maybe. Is well, I think the <laughs> machine gun. Okay, we'll get into the machine gun bunkers, but 
they needed like a couple of satchels apiece to take them down yeah. completely. The EOD did, but so now we're moving to the point. We move up, and I, as I'm moving up, I'm moving up with the point man. Whole squads behind me. We're going through a couple little interconnected buildings, and then I come up to, you know, um, basically the last row of buildings, and there just happens to be like a old time, not even fully constructed courtyard wall, and um, about chest high. Yeah, I mean, it just well, depending on who you are, but yeah. You know, I mean, it was it was like it was built there for us. Like, hey, how you doing? Yep. You know. And so we filled in echelon by twos under fire up to the wall. And, uh, and then we went to work and it, it was just kind of crazy that they would stay in their line and we kind of held our line. Well, we I mean, we, we, we were move, maneuvering other elements, but our, our line held. And, um, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not buddy rushing across. They were busted ass pants. <laughs> 800 meters, 800 meters buddy rush. Yeah. What is this, Cax? <laughs> have fun with that. I mean, if you'd have told me to, I, I would have told you. I would have bitched for a second, but I would have done it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, we can't complain about anything. Guys have been in situations worse than Way this for worse. sure and had no support, no air, no artillery, no no anything. And for us, you know, we – I'll be honest with you, it's everything you'd ever want to do. Yeah. Our, every resource, every asset, we had EOD attached rolled with us the entire way. Yeah. On the evasion for the first week or so, we had air stacked up every 5,000 yeah. feet, I would say. There was always gunships up. There was always, um, there was always support. Now, whether or not that support was able to release their payload once in a while was, you know, questionable and tossed up. We always had assets available. Um, Another thing, in a way, in which I'd never had them before. Right. Well, when you, when you take down a Taliban stronghold, they they gonna give you a little bit. Yeah. At least. At least in the beginning. Um, two things actually. Um, the thing that I re- remember was, uh, I think we we're supposed to be on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you remember it differently, but I remember we were supposed to be on MEB Objective 2, which was the second bridge, day one. We were supposed to like clear that, clear MEB Objective 1 with the bridge, the first bridge where we popped the APOPs on day one, roll through Shinny Wall, where they were, where company was already supposed to be at, roll down. And take Meb Objective too, so and um, I do. That, that's correct. I remember uh, hearing someone might have been LT, might have been you, but I think it came down from either company or maybe even higher that they uh, they were basically preaching tactical patience because of the IED threat. If I remember right, and mm. just hey, we're going to get to Meb Objective too when we get there. But if we can do it in a safer manner, I mean, well, I mean, look, man, there was a lot more resistance than what was anticipated. They anticipated that we in one day would have the objective held. And I mean, those guys fought. They stayed right there. They dug in, they fought. And even for that whole week after we had the objective, I mean, they fought. Right. Oh, yeah. I I mean, mean, I tip my hat to them. They weren't good enough. Like, but they, they had big, they had had big balls to, to fight the United States Marine Corps conventional. I mean, I mean, that's, Hey, my hat's off to you. I'm gonna, I'll oblige, but that's insane. We're not gonna I lose. mean, I mean, it's like I've been, I was in Iraq and in different places, and they didn't do that. They were afraid already. You know, I hadn't been first boots on deck to show them why to be afraid yet. Yeah. And so, I mean, they put up a fight. Yeah. It took us two days. Well, also with these guys, or three days. No, it took us two days. 
Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half to set up, and on the third day we swept the objective. And, and yeah, so we ultimately, hey, the end state was accomplished. It just took oh, us yeah. a couple extra days. Day or two. Yeah. I mean, a couple extra shows, hours. That shows uh, patience by the commanders uh, up high, too, in that in that situation. Because, like, you well, want your objective complete, but you, you don't. Every, not every war story, but you've heard the war stories where it's. They're driving them regardless. Just, Throw bodies at the end, and it all, and it all depends on what the objective is is going to be. You right, know? right. And hey, do you have enough troops to throw against that? We didn't. We were surrounded. We would have had to wait for India Lima if we started taking too many casualties. You know. Well, and that's the other issue is that it wasn't just us. So okay, so we we helo into the center of northern Marja. One six has Bravo Company helo into the center of southern Marja. Outside of that, every other company from those battalions. And the British forces and all other coalition forces that were part of Operation Mosterock were literally squeezing them at us. Right. And so it made for a target-rich environment, but you're right. Sure. I mean, it also made for like, hey, let's not jack this up. Oh, and by the way, Lima Company is going to be behind on getting through because they've met so much IED and ambush resistance. Yeah. And so it wasn't just us. It was just like, I think maybe, and, and I don't know, obviously we did okay. But maybe it was underestimated. Yeah. Maybe, you know, and that and that can happen. We're working on incomplete intelligence and incomplete information. And they did. They shaped that city. They sent they sent different secret squirrel people in there to shape it and That's to find out. Ready to get to was, find uh, out what they. Yeah, we don't have to get too far into it. But I mean, these well, people did their due diligence to try to help us out, and they still, yeah. you know, they still amassed more fighters than what we assumed. They still had IEDs planted everywhere, and and you know. I, I remember a lot of the IEDs, uh, well, not a lot, but but a significant number of them were bad, where maybe they anticipated us coming earlier, right. and now they've been sitting out in the weather, and the pressure switches were coming up because they had been on, you know, maybe storms. The storm season was right there. Yeah, so we had a lot of situations, and then they, they had planted duds as well, though. I mean, and that just goes to show you they already knew what we were going to do. We were going to see them. It was going to freak us out, regardless of whether they had water in the jug or ammonium nitrate and aluminum, right? Right. And so, yeah, bad times. And the other thing is, like, we had a great command. Not, not like, top to bottom, we had a great command, and they were there with us. So it's not like we're calling up saying, hey, it's really, really bad. Yeah, I guess it's they, like they're, they're sitting back there watching team. us fight you know, 200 meters in front of us and creeping up along behind us saying, hey, it's really bad up there, you know? Right. All right, and boys. They're just, they're in the shit sandwich you're in because they're just as surrounded as you are. You know? and, and that's a fact. And I know even our quartering party with the company main took fire and took uh, yeah. contact at company main, like as it shifted, they would still get hit. And of course, you know, we had rear security and they had pretty good element with them and, and the, you know, internal company little Praetorian. Right. And um and yeah, man, it was like so it wasn't like we needed to call and then embellish anything. It was like, hey, are you guys good? Let's bed down for the night. We're good. Find our, you know, get your get your mess together because tomorrow it's on kind of thing. Right. And then um so yeah, we're on the on the point on the wall that was made for us and, and just banging it out with the Taliban man. <laughs> And uh, that lasted all day. Yeah. Um, when we didn't, I don't think we got to the wall until what nine ten o'clock. Shit, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe 
930, yeah. Because it, I mean, it took so long for the entire echelon. And, you know, you're filtering into full platoons plus attachments into battle space. And, I mean, it was done seamlessly. So the commanders of the platoons, the squad leaders of all the platoons, the company commander, dude, hats off. Right. I mean, it was flawless. And you look back at it now, and now I've done a lot of studying of a lot of different attacks, of different maps, different terrain, different situations. And it's like, for what <laughs> for what we were presented... And they did a great job, right? And it was seamless, and um, and maybe, maybe too seamless, because we felt invincible. Yeah, and uh, that's how you have to feel. I'm not hating that, but uh, you feel invincible until you're put down, and and then you don't feel invincible anymore, right? And you got to get that confidence back. So, day two, we're banging it out, and Vicolo gets hit. Yeah, pow. Um, which through, was through and through to the shoulder, through and through the shoulder, all me, no problem. Matter of fact, as, as he would tell it, and maybe he'll come on one day and give his recollection, but I was standing right beside him and you were, you were right there. Uh, Bennett, I believe was the one right, right beside yeah. him and he was getting some, like he had the pig on the wall and boom, he felt that shoulder and he had, what he told me was he thought Bennett like hit him and said, scoot over. <laughs> And so he screwed it over, brah, laid another burst down towards the enemy. And um, that's when he felt like his arm was, you know, like somebody poured water on him or whatever, you know. And uh, he's like, oh, shit, I'm hit. And then, and then the corpsman come up and, right. you know, got him patched up. And I had never heard, you know, I was his roommate when we got back. And I had never heard, uh, heard him, I had never asked him about that. What he, how it felt or whatever. I never asked him, like, just what he told me that day. Oh, okay. I was like, you know, are you good? And he's like, I didn't even know I was hit. Like, what do you mean? He's like, I thought Bennett slapped me and told me to, told me to move over. It's something like that. Right. It's been a while, but it was a long, it was long. Right. And the other thing is he got patched up. They plugged his hole and he got right back up on the wall. I said, hey, man, they're not coming in right now. You got to throw him through, get the pig on the wall. Let's go. And like a beast. Bah. <laughs> He's like, all right. I, I remember telling him, hey, get that gun back up. They just put a hole in you, make them pay for it. And, you know, you see that fire come back. And up on the wall he went, you know. Yeah. And uh, motivating, motivating. So ultimately, uh, cover of the book is actually of this day. I can give you guys a little shot here because of the glare on the back. But once again, Lions of Margin, that is Vicolo's actual medevac chopper Take uh, off. taken off. And this is the smoke. This is a picture of me tossing the smoke for landing that medevac chopper. So we got some good action footage from our correspondents that were there for for, for us. And, and, uh, and then graciously enough, uh, oh, absolutely. allow you to use it for the book. Absolutely. Know? Came um, in clutch and did a lot of work for that action. And we're going to see if we can put them up on the Facebooks and all that, and on the uh, social medias. But um, yeah, we gotta, I don't want to promise that right now. Right, right, right. Actually, that picture right there is... Uh, you could probably see it in Ryan's. Yep. They, he had just gotten in the bird. He had just gotten in the bird here on that day, Vocolo, after the fighting subsided. And I think you had told me to glass something, or I was just glassing. I mean, they were still fighting going yeah, on. I mean, that guy came down with an escort and swooped in. And I'm, I, here's another thing. Let's just go ahead and hats off to Dust Off Crew. Oh, my God. Hats off to Dust Off Forever because you guys, man, yeah. no words. No words. You guys coming in. And I mean, you watch them just go straight sideways with the 50 and bang, and then they swoop straight down. And I mean, every single medevac smoke between the skids, baby. 
Yeah. Smoke every between time. the skins. On top of the grenade. Every time. Every time. And, uh, and, 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 you know, just, you know, that day when that chopper, Warriors, when man. that chopper came in, when that helo came in, I remember, well, both of them, and they did the wagon wheel. Oh, yeah. I mean, and saw the RPG start flying. Like, oh, yeah. I've seen that movie. Dude, it and didn't what's, end and, well. <laughs> dude, what's crazy is, look, man, I mean, we got used to it, right? There was no nerves after the first couple of hours. <laughs> like, maybe there was nerves, but there wasn't, like, for me, there wasn't Nobody nerves. Ever, it was just like, like you got freaked out. No, yeah, you got used to it. And like, but seeing these guys like descend to the earth and then like the PJ, he just like jumps out. He's got like his little, whatever his little thing is. If in his he hand. had flip flops and board shorts on and like just walked out there, I wouldn't have been surprised. Like, that's know. what I'm saying. He's he jumped out like, whatever. no big deal, dude. Load him off. Let's go. All right, cool. How's he doing? Hey, guys, you need anything? Call us up. Yep. All right, man. See you later. <laughs> and then like they're gone. Well, Firing a fifty for you. Joker unaccomplished. Let's go back to base and get some coffee. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, yeah. So the pilots there, all the crews, dust off, hats off, always and forever. You guys are another thing. You guys are bad motherfuckers. How about that? Yeah. There you go. And we don't even try and swear on the podcast. Mm -hmm. No, but that's motherfucker. That that needed to happen. Yeah. Um, And one thing that was pretty crazy. Not only that is when they came in the wagon wheel, how low. They Dude, were flying nasty top. Nasty. Right. Nasty. And the 50 gunner had to be sitting on top of it because they were parallel and he was firing. So, and I've never been in one of those. Maybe not. Maybe you're just standing, but I mean, just amazing work. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't and be more happy with any Colo. Do you talk about it in the book when they wouldn't let Colo take his weapon? No, I didn't talk he about didn't, that. He didn't want to get on the chopper because. Yeah, on the helo because he now he did say, he did say that. I mean, we ran him out, and as soon as I throw the smoke, in comes the bird. And as soon as the bird sits down, we're getting ready to go. He looks back and he's like, "Hill I don't want to get on the chopper." I'm like, "You're getting on the chopper." <laughs> really, we've got a, a twenty million dollar piece of equipment coming in to get just you, and you're not going to get on the chopper <laughs> into a hot LZ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're getting on the chopper, son. And I mean, where they put it and where we threw the smoke, it wasn't like. Mm. The whole place was pretty hot, Smell but between the skids. But I remember actually yeah, being uh, smaller. But I the guess area, it, yeah. I mean, it was still pretty small for them to put it down. But I remember it being like, yeah. way more compact. Yeah, maybe it felt that way. Yeah, because everybody was shooting at us. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it feels small like that when when rounds are when rounds are that close. And I'm and I'm not <laughs> saying that to be joking. I got. I have the map of, of the invasion, you know, the little GRG still and stuff yeah. like that. And, and any compound that we had taken fire from, I would take a permanent marker and outline the compound in red and uh, putting a book together and going through things and really getting down to the details of where things were coming from. Every, sing- <laughs> every single building in Shinny Wall and down Kathy, down to the south where yeah. they were reinforcing through that rat line, every building was red. And then you go up to the bazaar, two machine gun bunkers, everything's red. Right. The houses we took over, everything's red. And it's like, like you remember that it was bad and you remember you had to get small and you remember that you, like it was a fight. But I didn't remember that it was everywhere like that until like I really started digging into it. I'm like, oh my God, like, yeah, literally, literally we killed people from there. I don't know about killed people personally, but our company, our company engaged and piled some people up from almost every compound. Right. Um, 
or at least took fire from there. And I would say returned fire and probably killed. Yeah. We were pretty on, pretty spot on. The only thing was the distance that day. I mean, it was, it's hard. You, they had range, hard to, they had range and they had an open field to work with. So yeah. it was like taunting us to come over there and then. You know, we found out later in that open field with where we lost our first marine at, um, right. just yeah. a few days later, and they were traversing back to the company main to get batteries. But we'll talk about that um, um, probably yeah. in a later episode. Yeah, we we'll might really get into that one. We might be able to make it to that one today. But um, you want to cover the high mar shot, or you want to, yeah, you want I mean, to push um, to med objective too? I mean, we can cover the high mars. I mean, there's lessons to be learned here, um, especially for me. The high mars shot. I can go into it. It was, we were on that same building. Um, you know, Vicolo got shot. Um, and they were masking sniper fire with small arms fire. So it would be like a burst from a machine gun or, a, you know, a nice burst from an AK. And in that burst, the sniper was taking a well-aimed shot with a heavy caliber weapon. Right. And that's what caught Vicolo. And I didn't like that at all. And neither did anybody else. Um, I called up and asked what we had. We had already done the high mar training prior to that. We talked about uh, in one of the last episodes. With, uh, well, the forward observer. Yeah, with the FOs, and we learned about it. So I knew what the capabilities were. I knew I could bring it right down on them. I knew it could fire from Leatherneck and have that building reduced in under 20 minutes as long as everything went up good. And then I remember at one point thinking, oh, my God, you know, like if I want to if I want a high mark, I remember they told me it had to be shot with a vector dagger. Yeah. Well, I didn't have comms with, with, uh, Lieutenant Backus or no. was it Lieutenant Mathieu? One of them had, I don't know if they both had a, a vector dagger, but I know one of them did because. Well, it was one of them and I don't even and know. They, they were usually pretty co-located because they were, that's an easy way to. Uh, yeah. Well, they were the fist. So well, they yeah. were the fire support team, team. Yeah, they, and they're going to deconflict their fires between ground and air. So whichever one it was, I remember he was in the back, like on the back south side of our compound where we were on the front east yeah. side. Yeah, there was another wall that was behind us, and uh, they were right behind that wall behind us. Yeah, so what, like from our wall, 50 meters? Yeah, not, even, not even that close, because we had to run behind that wall to, to get coal on the bird. Yeah. Which and I so, think that the bird was actually after the Heimar. Uh, you can correct me, but I think it was after the Heimar shot, wasn't it? Yeah, real actually, close. I yeah, I mean, can't place it. I mean, if we think about it, they probably took this casualty out before they sent the rockets up in this up yeah, in the true. airspace. So I would imagine, yeah. I just remember that I needed the I needed the vector dagger shot. I yeah. knew that I needed to. I wanted to use high Mars, and I needed the vector dagger shot. And so I left you in charge because Bennett was, I believe, at that point out on the knee high wall firing south. Possibly. And yeah, um, possibly. Well, he had just <clears throat> peeled back, right? He would have just peeled back from there. And so I, I hauled ass. I mean, gunfighting was pretty intense. They were, they were really getting their, their fires in pretty accurate at this point. And, um, and I was pissed about Wakolo. I'm like, no, this isn't happening. You know, Bennett said that sniper's out there. It's got to have sniper fire. You know, we all, we all agreed on it, and we need to mitigate that threat, you know, before somebody else gets hurt. And so I just took off. Boom, I'm running, digging, 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 digging. I get over it, jump over the wall, and there was uh, – you know, the whole fire support team and I told them what I needed right before I had left. I had, I had told, uh, I had told Grimes to, to put a ground marker out of his 203 on the front steps of which building, the building that I needed marked. 
He launched. I took off. After that, they shot the vector dagger shot. I think Brian. I don't remember if that was Grimes' shot for that smoke or not. That was Grimes' shot. It's in the video. Yeah, but I think we were marking for smalls or RPG fire on that one. No. Mm-mm. Nope. I was marking for me to be able to go oh. to cool. go hit that vector dagger shot. And they did it. I jumped back and I ran back to the squad. Like we're still fighting. Right. And um, and I mean all throughout the day they would kind of take a break, go drink some tea, maybe drink, move houses, maybe dig a dig a few more weapons up. Well, where's the Marines at? Oh, they're still in the same spot. I guess we can hit them again. Yep. But, yep. Uh, and dig spot. You know, so dig. I mean it was continuous, but with lulls for sure. You know, Sadiq, right over there, Taliban. You see, I asked Sadiq using my hands and arms. I felt like I was back home playing charades with my brothers again. Sadiq got the point and searched the area to the south. When he looked back at me, I could tell he was clueless. He shook his head. No talent. Yes, Sadiq. I got down in the prone position beside him, grabbed his Kevlar helmet, and with a bit of a jerk, I did my best to aim his eyes directly at where the fighters were exiting the canal. Suddenly, the soldier postured up tensely, and I knew he could see the target. Kind of the way a dog will perk up, when a cat runs through the yard, it was always it was always as though I could feel the excitement running through, through his eyes into his brain and in the rest of his body. It was firing on all signals, and on all the signals that one's body fires off when it's about to engage. I popped to a knee immediately. I'm still not sure what he said, but he looked up at me and spoke. It was something to the effect of, "Yes, I see them." <laughs> Only in Pashtun Wali, <laughs> which is the uh, dialect of Arabic that they were speaking there. Right. Shoot, he asked. Yes, shoot. Shoot now, Sadiq. Shoot right now. Instead of the Afghan soldier dropping back down to the prone where the weapon was easiest to control and in turn most accurate, he popped to one knee and manned the weapon up to his right shoulder. The soldier then took a few strides to the small wall that Bacola and Bennett were posted on and remained in the kneeling position. I didn't even have time to shout out an ad rack before he ripped off the first burst of about six to eight rounds of a medium-sized burst from a medium machine gun. One after another, he ripped bursts. I couldn't be sure of how many fighters Sadiq personally killed in the six to eight round bursts that he was firing. However, all of them went down and none of them got up. There were several other Marines, corpsmen, ANA, and coalition forces on the field that could have contributed to the elimination of the enemy in that ditch. But I'm quite certain that most of them were because of a man named Sadiq. <laughs> and uh, I bring that one up because, man, it was the first time, I guess the first noticeable time, there were several times I got to see this, but when you want to talk about when you're in command of troops and you see that, you know, that um, the fire, the click. It's head. like the fire. It's like you physically watched his chemical cocktail get dumped out of his glands and into his spinal column and just like, mm-hmm. yes, I see them. Now. Right. <laughs> and then and then to be able to control the weapon, which Sadiq was a good, it was a big guy. And when I talk about this, I go into detail in the book, but there was some stuff that I left out. Like this was the guy that loved the Marines. He came and ate with us. He came and stayed in our birthing before the push. He made us give him a screaming high and tight. Um, and he was he was young, I think. Too. Very young. 18, 19 years old. Yeah, very young. I mean, he was our age. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rest the, of those guys the other guys were, were older. You know? Oh, yeah. The rest of those guys were 30s, 40s. Yeah. Older. You know. 
But uh, Sadiq was <laughs> he was awesome. He was um, he he even got to the point where he spoke like broken English by the time the, their candidate got relieved. Like he knew more words than any of the other buddies. Right. So he was one of our one of our key dudes, and um, and yeah, he was awesome. We gave him a two forty Bravo. Right. For his first coalition weapon, and he busts a whole line of reinforcements in like two bursts. Good move. I see them now. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty awesome there. Anyway, that clo- you know, we just want to close out a little bit of that that day two exercise. But well, okay. day two kind of the high mar. And- yeah, the high mar. You know, like we said um, in the beginning, you know, the enemy didn't really understand long range weapon systems and. If I'm being honest, High Mars is like watching the finger of God come out of the sky and just absolutely reduce whatever it's. It's insane. We had two. We had two of them come in on that attack, and they hit. Uh, you know, supersonic. They come in and made a, made a sonic boom, and then and then it just massive, massive explosions. Right. And um, you know, on, on that day, in particular, uh, that was a struggle for me later in my life. At the time, it didn't really. I, could, I suppose you could say it didn't really affect me. It was like um, another day, you know, this is war, war it's sucks. Happened. But unfortunately, when those high Mars did come, they came about 30 minutes later, right before Bacola's bird uh, came to pick him up and get him out of the zone. And um, <clears throat> still to this day, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding exactly how that went down. But a vector dagger shot supposed to be accurate within to one yard, one meter. Yeah, or so three feet, give yeah. or take a couple inches, and it was off by 300 exact meters in an exact line to the north, and uh, so it reduced the wrong building, and there ended up being some some uh, women and, and children inside the um, inside the compound. Unfortunately, that it hit, and you know they poured out of it after that, and um, bad situation. Um, you got uh, five kids. Uh, under the age of five that come out, seven kids in all, and the rest women, yeah. and likely being held as, uh, you know, human shields uh, because everybody else in the city proper was gone. Right. That wasn't fighting. Or that was just one of the Taliban's family, not even human shield, just yeah, I mean, just there. I mean, de- definitely could have been, and, and again, could have been unlucky. But, yeah. um, or, so, you know, there, it might be like a hurricane for them. Like some of them are just going to ride it out. I mean, that's why the compounds are impenetrable. Likely it was some affiliation to the Taliban, in my opinion, Um, being that everybody else was gone. I mean, no way to really know. So they come out. and I mean, it's a hard thing to see when you're thinking that you're reducing building X and building Y is reduced instead. And then, you know, not only that, but it's full of it's full of uh, citizens, you know, of the area. Uh, that's rough. They come out and they were in bad shape. And, um, you know, I remember the captain tried to launch a mass casualty um, operation for him. He was sending one of the guys, uh, one of the, the, you know, the other platoon squads out there across the step, even in all the danger in the face of all the danger that those Marines went to cross that step. And um, the Osprey was in. uh, In them. Yeah, well, it was Osprey, right? Tow yeah. rotor came in, and that was going to be the casualty, the mass casualty. And uh, I remember seeing one on the ground, but it didn't. I don't know. They were in zone later after that, but on that day, and I don't know if he made it to the ground, and the other choppers started right. taking fire. His escort, well, 
one way or another, rockets started coming up from all sides and, uh, and small arms. And, and so, you know, the, the CEO waves that off. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, now we have our first situation of, you know, collateral damage. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I, I put in the book that, that, you know, there's, uh, there's something that I put in there. I'm not, I'm not going to read it, but it's along the lines of, um, you know, nobody wants to hurt the wrong people, <clears throat> the wrong people. Like, uh, but when, when you're dealing in war and you're dealing with rockets and missiles and guns and, uh, and ugly people on both sides, just really getting after it, um, you're going to have collateral damage. It's not that we welcome collateral damage. It's that the grunt understands, understands collateral damage. Um, and that's why we got to do our best as a nation to keep the wars off of our shores because wars on our shores means the collateral damage is our people. Right. And, uh, guaranteed that if there's a war, there will be collateral damage. Um, everybody tries to do their best to not let that happen. And I think the United States probably hamstrings its forces more than anything, more than any other country in regard to ROEs and trying to ensure we only kill the enemy, you know, but, um, nothing, war is far from perfect. And it's always going to have flaws. And one of those flaws is, is that innocent people are going to die. Right. Well, two um, bad choices, right? I mean, bad choices. Rock in a hard place. We can, we can throw out every uh, metaphor there is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, well, it's war. That's yeah. why war, war is not, not nice. Pretty. Everybody thinks that war is this awesome thing because they go and they see the movies and, and it gets uh, romanticized and Hollywooded up. And, and it's like, yeah, and there's a point for that. There's a purpose to it. Like, check, got it. Yeah. We need to have those younger guys coming through and wanting that yeah, romance and needing that romance. It, you know? Absolutely. It drives the nationalism and it drives the patriotism. Like, got it. But, uh, you know, when you find yourself dead in the middle of it, it's unforgiving. Eye-opening. Eye-opening. It's, uh, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Sure. And, uh, so that was one of those things that you just kind of had to deal with. And, um, and a lot of guys that'll witness things like this, myself included, you know, uh, suffered a little bit of a moral injury due to it, especially with the children and, and some of the different, um, casualties from, from some of the collateral damage, you know, from our time there. And that's a hard thing to notice. And, and, you know, the kids, we've, we've talked about this many times before, but the, uh, the kids, um, it's hard because it's like they're completely innocent to right. to to a, to a to an age, and uh, they just want to kick a soccer ball or go play rocks or you know because yeah, they don't have anything. They don't eat or good. pencil or anything. Anything you can give them, they're gonna they want it. You know, right? Well, I mean, it's because they have nothing. These right. kids play with chicken houses and uh, and you know things of that nature, and and so they're so innocent, and then they get exploited for political cause, and. Uh, and it's like, well, sorry, you were unlucky to be born here. Yeah, that's in that's and, a, and it's all luck of the draw, really. And yeah, so that's in and and just going back to the moral kind of the moral injury of, of children and collateral damage and stuff like that, that's not the only way that a moral injury can come about. And I was really affected by something in Marge that was almost not combat related. It was just cultural, let's say. And that's when um I mean you were with me, we would go on patrol and they would have their um 
there would be children that were either like had some mental disabilities or pigmentation issues, yep. you know, that they have that on their arms or face or whatever. And they'd have these kids uh, chained up to like three foot chains in the courtyard, yeah. 120 degree weather with a bowl of slop in front of them. Like they're a damn pit oh, bull puppy. You know, their dogs fighting actually got treated better than them. You know? Oh yeah. Their, their livestock got treated way better than their children a lot of times. And especially the children that had issues. And it was right. like, that was really shocking because like, then you couldn't do anything about it because they tell you, well, that's their culture and we're not here for that. Right. And it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, and you gotta, you know, I had the, I had the advantage of having been to Iraq already, having been to Lebanon and some other places and seeing different cultures. But, and so I'm glad that, that, that I had, but for a lot of our guys, man, to, right. to see that like that for the first thing you could see on bridges. One is one of the guys, one of our young guys that I distinctly remember that affecting. And he never talked about it, but I could see it in his face, you know, and he's a guy that had younger siblings and stuff like right. that when he goes to boot camp and, then he comes to us 10 days later wearing the suck looking at, you know, four-year-olds that are mentally retarded and maybe cleft-lipped a little bit. And they're sitting on all fours like a puppy with a metal chain and shackled around their neck tied to, tied to a, a stake in the ground. And it's 118 degrees out. And he's laying there with flies all over. I mean, and it's just like, it's a human being. Right. You know, it's a... It's a and an it, innocent it, human being at that. But yeah, didn't ask for anything. And they're not, it's not their fault they were born that way. You know? Yeah, and it's not like, uh, yeah, that has nothing to do with combat. But when you see something like that, and you you realize like these, this that's normal. That's that's what they do. And uh, well, another thing that I always remember too was the uh, there was stories of the Taliban having their their I don't know how to put it uh, first boy or the boy. For them, the the uh, oh yeah, I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know how long, so, uh, how far whipping. we want to go into it, but uh, I mean it's cultural, I mean, right? So a lot of the times over there, they would use boys for pleasure and women for reproduction. So right. some of the young boys would be, uh, you know, the whipping boy for the old man or for the imam at the at the. And there's nothing we could do about it. And you, I mean, I mean, one time they came out and offered a boy to big whiskey. Yeah, I remember that. We did yeah. an op, and we took the guy's house, and he was real nice. And came out and said, "You dicky dick or whatever." Yeah. And offered his son, and we were like, man. And it's like, you want to put that guy down. Right. Like, I'm so many times I was like, gotta shoot this, let these kids go, but then what? Yeah. Then they just go. Then what? Then they're just then taking they die. advantage of. They, die yeah, anyway. they either die or they go take, get taken advantage of somewhere else. Right. Yeah, man. Forcing, we you know, cultural deep, issues. Quick on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, and nobody knows about this kind of, not nobody knows. All the guys that have been there know, and the guys that have you know, been around that for the last 25 years of war, no, or 20 years of war, no, obviously. But once again, this is about what we said in the beginning about bridging that gap. And a lot of people don't know that. And, right. and then you come home and um, people want to know why you may be a little bit different. It's like, I just seen a three-year-old get treated like a dog and a, and a dog get treated like a human being in a place where everybody wanted to kill me. You know what I mean? Kind right. of thing. And it's like, so you got these these different things you got to go through, but I just remember that being one of those profound things where I was just like, "Oh my god!" And you can't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm sure and that, quite certainly that's going on right now. You know, in several places. Well, I was going to say the same thing. I'm sure uh, Leo's, you know, law enforcement officers may deal with certain things like that in America. So yeah, I mean, and my hats off to them because yeah. you couldn't put me in that situation and expect me to 
follow your rules, right? As it were, because right. I mean that you got to stay away from some of that stuff. If you can't handle, you can't handle those people that can handle it, handle it. That's why I'm not a police officer. Yeah, and you come from a family of police officers, right? And corrections, yep, guards, and not doing it. Marines, we just marine it up. Yeah, grunt stuff. Grunt we'll stuff. do the grunt stuff, and you guys arrest people. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, all you, right. So, you want to hit a lesson learned on this one? Uh, yeah. I mean, which lesson learned? There's a lot of lessons uh, learned. Don't bring a monocular. <coughs> don't try a new piece of gear for the first time in the, when you're landing in the largest ELO born invasion since Vietnam. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, if you're going to, if, if you're going to insert and infill on the, uh, on the mini thermals, maybe the on off drills all week with the mini thermals. Yeah, and I and I think that's what I hadn't put. It's not like I just had never put them on and looked through them or anything, but I didn't have a uh, a good. Uh, how do you want to put it? Uh, she didn't train with them enough. Yeah, I hadn't, I it's hadn't not enough time. Familiarize myself I, I, with I, them. I mean, enough. and we can get on. I can get on my political soapbox about that for a moment. And it's not left or right. It's just like if you had money to give these guys these things to train with Why didn't I have back in the rear yeah. and you knew we were going to be doing this and we just did a 10 month workup. Well, maybe we could have some mini thermals so we could train like we fight because yeah. that's what we say. Well, if you and mean, then that doesn't happen. And then you fall in the mud. That actually came with, those came with my JFO kit. That's why I got those. Like that was a little joint fires observer kit that I was given a uh, big laser and, uh, mm. and the radios. Cause that's why I had, that's why I had that radio. I was the only other one with green gear besides you and LT. And you know the the high the you know a team rest team, of the proper yeah yeah the team leaders didn't get a green gear but I had one. right um, right so. yeah so that's a definitely a big lesson learned train like you fight if you're going to use a mini thermal use it in your <clears> training <throat> and guess what if you don't have it maybe pack that thing away and put your PBS 14s back up for the extra for the infill you know um, and, and I and I can hear you on that and a lot of guys will say uh, maybe just don't even wear anything when you're debarking disembarking yeah, aircraft I mean, and. Um, and that's a great idea too. I think at first, as we were first coming down, ramp was dropping. I dropped my, I dropped my nods down, and then I seen all the debris and it was kind of like chaotic. So I rolled them right back up as we began to get off. And I'm not saying that helped anything because obviously it didn't right. fare well in the mud. But um, if it's if it was one of those nights where, you know, there was plenty of ambient light or the moon was high, you know, a lot of us didn't wear MVGs at all. Um, you know, you would spot check, right. bring them down, give a scan, but having those things over your eyes the whole time is, uh, it sometimes can feel de almost debilitating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially if you have the loom in order to, you know, be able to see without it. Right. So, so that's definitely, definitely a big lesson learned there. And then, you know, stay calm. In a in a bad situation, stay calm. Oh man, you know, you, if big you, whiskey and you. If you get in a bad situation, yeah. If you're the leader and you start freaking out, eighty percent chance that everybody under you is about, about to start freaking out. That's right. And if you're the leader and you're and you're not freaking out, eighty percent chance those underneath you are not going to freak out. Okay, and. This wasn't even something for me. It was like, I had to look up to Big Whiskey for that one too. It was like, two Bravo, not freaking out. And I'm like starting to, and like, I'm not saying I'm freaking out, but it's a bad situation. You know, I felt a whole lot better when I knew the skids were coming in because it's like, okay, no factor. 
right. whole platoon. <laughs> we got eight high Mars coming in hot, like no, but they don't kill everybody. Not high Mars, Hellfires. Yeah, Hellfires. I think that's what they were outfitted with in those covers, right? Yeah, and then probably had some rockets too, or some other. Uh, well, they got that gal. Yeah, they got the gal in the heads up display that I didn't know about. We can talk about that later. Yeah, um, I think they had. Is it far rockets, FARs? Or okay. Maybe they had a lot of stuff. What I do know time. is that they could have made short work of an enemy platoon if needed. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And especially if they're Mark Lee and Strobe, I mean, you know, they're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, Tally got your target. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, the easiest gun run on right. the planet. Is you know, he wearing an infrared strobe? How did y'all get that on him? <laughs> Are you painting him? <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, stay calm. No, abort now. <laughs> yes, don't, please. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, staying calm is key, man. Stay calm. And um, I would say if you are just happen to be an air officer, maybe on the infill, it's going to be loud, but maybe have your uh, radio not on the highest volume level that you could have. Because once the helicopters go away, it's going to be super quiet. And yeah. then, Helen Keller probably would have heard that. Okay, <laughs> um, and it was it was uh, very loud when everybody was trying to be church mouse like as they slopped out of the mud. And then, two, 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 two. Be advised, you have enemy element platoon size, and you look at all the lance corporals, and their eyes are like, "My gun won't fire." Yeah. So, all right, boys, it's about to get saucy then. And so. Maybe just keep that radio turned down a little bit or straighten the, straighten the ear. I don't know. But to have it on blast in a situation like that was definitely a poor decision. Right. Didn't end up well. Um, understanding that understanding that regardless of what you're doing, the mission has still got to go on. Um understanding that when things go crazy you can't quit right and i know you made the joke about i quit you know and you didn't really quit it was just like what the, it was just like your breaking point like fuck man like mm-hmm. once you reach your breaking point you catch your breath and i say catch your breath in your mind you catch your breath and then you continue you know and that's basically what that was yeah, guess, yeah it was looking it, back it was more it, of a venting at the time i definitely wanted to quit though <laughs> yeah i mean you, but you, i mean bad you, situation what are you gonna do well, and that's the point. I looked yeah. at you and I'm like, start laughing, like, oh, you quit, huh? All right. Yeah. Stay here. <laughs> no. We're leaving. We got a mission to do over here. I'll be along. And, uh, and yeah, so you picked up slack there. So move up into day two, and day two was crazy. Uh, day two, we wrote, learned that we weren't bulletproof. Vicolo got through and through to the shoulder, and we got him out of zone and um, didn't know when we were going to get him back. Had to keep his weapon because he's, he's carrying a 249. Yep. 249 goes now, to Grimes. Yeah, and I, get, I took Grimes as a... And you take the grenade two, launcher. Yeah. And four, yeah. And so, day two, I'm already down. We're down a guy and spread loading gear, shuffling weapons, shuffling squads. Shuffling ammo. Shuffling ammo. Oh, no. We weren't really shuffling that, but... Well, there was a little ammo shuffling no, going on. There. I mean, we had to get all the saw rounds spread loaded in day packs and things of that nature. Had to get all of his grenades and all of his... Um, yeah, yeah he was def- carrying clay mortars. He had two Willie Pete, uh, 60, 60 millimeter mortars yeah. attached to his pack. And, um, well, uh, so there was some spread loading. Yeah. And you're definitely not getting on that bird with all the ammo. 
because we're staying, we're keeping whatever. No, we his can. mag stayed, his yeah. tourniquet stayed. We we stripped him of everything, seal anything he had in the CLS bag, and like, so we didn't know when he was coming back. But I was like, we don't care. You want to get ice cream? We'll call him. Right. Get on the bird, cause enjoy it. On the bird. Yeah, you didn't want to, but go enjoy it. And uh, and when we get back, and when you get back, you we'll have all your stuff for you. No, no worries. And uh, you know, we never got a Vicolo back. <laughs> yeah. They they, uh, they patched him up and got the infections, you know, taken care of. And and I think he attached he, a baton. Yeah, he attached a baton, but I'm pretty sure he started running the debt back. So yeah. the guys that we were capturing. Uh, for the intel would come up and go to his detention facility uh, or, or not his, but the detention facility. And he would be one of the guards and in place there right. uh, checking out those guys. Just real quick for the listeners. I'm going to wrap day two real quick. Just, yeah. Wrap day two. Um, wrap day two. Heimar comes in pretty much the battlefield went silent at day two or on uh, when the Heimar came in and then uh, he uh, echeloned, over to what would effectively be called the Alamo. Mm. And we stayed there for the night and we'll pick up with on day three for the, uh, there might be a little bit of Alamo talking. Hell, we can roll with it, bro. I mean, we're still on day two. Let's close it out the right way. Okay. Hey, so, yeah, I'm just going to bring it up to speed real quick so we could start on that. Yeah. Yeah. So two. let's close it out. Um, real quick. Uh, so the high Mars rocket comes in and decimates the building. We have cast casualties, uh, mass casualty situation, uh, mass casualty birds come in and squad goes across to try to save what they can save and get these people out of there. And, uh, the Taliban were, didn't want us to help them apparently, or else they just want to kill everybody. So they started shooting rockets at our choppers. Right. That became a very sticky situation. The pilots getting out of the way of rockets, like something you've seen in Black Hawk Down. Yeah, no. Again. You're watching this in front of your eyes. It's almost like telling it now. It's like, did it really happen that way? And it's like, yeah, it, it really helped. <laughs> That's the way it went down. And so, um, um, sad day because of what had happened. You know, I lost a Marine. We're shuffling stuff. But also, I mean, 14, 14 individuals that probably didn't have anything to do with either side of this, any side of this. Um, lost their lives that day and some of them way too young, all of them way too young. Um, and then that would set, you know, a precedence for the next month of, you know, what the Taliban would go and preach to everybody that we did. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that doesn't help you in a coin situation. You know, you're in a counterinsurgency fight and you're down there fighting the Taliban and then you kill 14 people on accident and then they, they are instantly going to take that and run that as propaganda against you to recruit local fighters. Right. And, um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, and they ruled with an iron fist there too. Right. Um, but, but in regard to day two, high Marsh shut them down. They didn't understand it. Battlefield fell quiet. We had like uh, some sporadic little pocket fights that happened, Always. you know, right before sundown, you know, right between that time and sundown. And, um, and then the sun started to set. As the sunset, uh, Sergeant Hine from first radioed up and talked to LT, talked about uh, seeing some antennas coming from the, the direction of the land bridge that we were ultimately supposed to take. That's right. I forgot about that. And, um, and so we sent out a little leader's recon so we could all get eyes on it. And uh, that's where the plan for the next morning came. And it was like, uh, second was tasked. I was tasked with taking the squad up and finding a place to, 
to bed down for the night that was in the vicinity of that, that had good cover, good fightability from it, good protect protections. And um, the rest of the guys were going to be shaking and holding security, doing their thing. Once we got in and cleared the compound out that we wanted, the rest of the platoon would then fill in. And uh, I really thought that was going to be scarier than it was because of every single building that we had taken fire from that day all around us, every building, right? And then it was like, we went in there and there was nobody home. It was actually scary because there was no one home. It, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah, we went I mean, in there and it was like eerie because there was nobody home. They left in a hurry, you could tell, because they didn't take much. Their animals were gone. They didn't even take down their corral. Right. Um, they had this like circus tent roof to their animal corral, which which ended up being our bedding, like our bedding for the night because it broke the wind. It was sleeting that night, and so you didn't get sleeted on while you were bedded down, which was amazing. And uh, ultimately, we took that down without a hitch, and we set you know a post cycle up and a roster. We talked about calling in for uh, well, that was several days later that we called in yeah. and resupplies in, but uh, yeah, so we posted up Alamo day one or day two and the day two, yeah. And, and uh, I think the whole platoon was there, and that's that's there. correct. Yeah. The whole platoon after we secured it. Uh, filled in and then the key leaders talked about post cycles what we were going to do the next day and um, we got tasked out with being a uh, support by fire position the next day yeah. and uh, I don't know if you remember well yeah you do remember obviously but our building was about you know what a few hundred meters in the direct face of two mutually fortified machine gun bunkers yeah with with like concrete t-wall barriers I on have, the roof and when I've told people about it, it's like Normandy beachhead style, like out of a. It's hard to it's hard to for, take it serious, but yeah, like because when I mean, we, when we seen them, it was like get the fuck out of here, right? And you could see them at night, like nobody had even shot at them together. Yeah, nobody had even shot at us yet, and we're seeing these things through nods, and it's like here's this giant built-in look, built-in the the ground bunker. With concrete T barriers all the way up, like stacked up, and it's got six firing ports cut out of it. Right. And you're like, oh, good. And then 50 meters or 100 meters to the right of it, the exact same thing. And you just cannon, just a little bit to just each other. Just a to little where bit. you have that. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Perfect. I mean, I mean <laughs> they knew what they were doing, bro. They didn't take much to. No, but it. it they knew what they were doing. I'm making a joke. It was it was very well set up. Um, they didn't stand a chance still, but, no, but it was set you, up nice. When you bring the full force of the Marine Corps infantry and, and, and the combined arms dilemma against two machine gun bunkers, bad times, baby. We've been doing it for since World War. Well, we've been doing it since World War One, World War Two, and every war we've gotten better at it because our technology yep. has uh, evolved to the point where everything gets involved in the combined arms dilemma. And, if, and, and another thing I was thinking earlier, and we can wrap here soon if you want, but hats off to Major Biggers. Um, not Major Biggers, Captain Biggers at the time. At the time? Yes. Uh, he had a lot of moving parts between three platoons. Oh getting my God. Those, you know, getting all that stuff in line and everything. We don't see it. But now thinking back on it and knowing the bigger picture. Well, yeah, now. I mean, excellent. Excellent. Now, yeah. now it's, it's like, man, good leadership. Yep. Good and, leadership and, will and, make and or the break senior you. senior staffs, too. And the senior staff. No doubt. Of, officers. I mean, everybody, but. No really, doubt about I mean, it. That was really great. 
No doubt about it. Um, no doubt about it. Well, let's leave it there for. Um, we'll pick up, and you know, I'm not, we're not necessarily well, we're not necessarily going to pick up, you know, everything. But as we go through the book, well, some of the some of the key elements we'll pick up. Right now, we've made it through day three, and you know, a lot of it's going to be early on, and then later on. And the reason is, is early on, it was hard fighting for a. Mm, I would say hard every day all day long fighting for two, two to three weeks. Yeah. And then it started to slow down a bit. And then once we left Camp Allen, Hanson area, and we made it out to five points, it was like, then that was, it was, well, it was just like, Hey, do you want to get in a gunfight today? Yeah. Where do we want to go? Yes. Okay. Go right here. Yeah. Yeah. Go right here. Matter of fact, you can go anywhere South of this Northern. Yep. Or you can go anywhere east of this, you know, easting, and you're, yeah, you're in the backyard, pretty much. And uh, and we we dealt out some resolve to these guys um, at five points, and 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 you know, some of those stories are probably be where we pick up in the book. And if you guys want to get all the details, all the stuff out of the book that you're not getting through this review, you can simply go to uh, Amazon.com, um, and you can order it online, sixteen ninety nine. Uh, Type in Lions of Marja or the author name Ryan Rogers and it'll pop up. It's on Kindle version. It's on paperback. You can also go to Barnes & Noble and request it if they don't have copies out and they will get them to your store. Um, and we appreciate that support. But let us get these uh, next couple of reviews out of the way and, and really get into the book um, some more as we go through. And then we'll be um, transitioning to Dr. Michael Blair. Doc Mike Blair is going to join us uh, for our first interview, our first out of the platoon interview, expert interview. And he's an expert in prosthetics and orthopedics doctor. And he's going to give us the gouge on the newest, latest, greatest technology concerning uh, concerning prosthetics. And super, super excited to re- make that recording. Dr. Mike is also, um, uh, he's also a vet, a grunt, uh, shot up Iraq, blown up Iraq, gets out, still becomes a doctor and says, you know what? No factor. I'm going to start fitting these guys with prosthetics and uh, great dude. Great dude. So we'll have Dr. Mike coming up for you guys uh, after the book review is done. And, um, and we hope you uh, sign in for, for the next time that we're on. Thank you guys a lot. Uh, if you need to reach us, you can get us at, on Facebook at Choices Not Chances podcast, and we're working on the Instagram and the Twitter handles as well. So we're gonna get that all that stuff out there, and uh, I appreciate it. Hey, yeah, awesome on that. If you if you go ahead and add us on the Choices Not Chances on Facebook, Facebook's gonna be our primary thing, and we'd love to have questions from you. If you have questions about the book, questions about certain situations, you can email us at Choices Not Chances podcast at gmail.com. Email your any of your questions to that address, and and we're going to start doing a Q and A, uh, monthly Q and A or bi monthly Q and A, where we can ask answer ask and answer questions, and um, take recommendations from people that you guys want to see. I got doctors coming in for you for prosthetics. I got IED experts coming in. I got MARSOC uh, critical skills operators um, that have agreed to come in and, and you know give some perspectives on some of their fighting. Uh, in different spots and um, love to hear what else you guys want. Uh, I can have also have doctors come in for mental health. 
on that side of things. Anything that you guys think will help the you know the veteran community, things that you guys particularly want, go ahead and hit that up on the on the um, on the email. Also, uh, don't forget the first annual writing competition. Rules are going to go up on the Facebook page or are on the Facebook page as of this this viewing this uh, for this date. And um, get in it, get after it, give me some right, you know, get you get your work submitted. Uh, we're going to have our team put together to to review the works, and then again, the rules will be on there, and you guys can check it out. But the winner of the annual writing competition is going to get the opportunity to come in and record, you know, four hour slot on anything that they want to talk about regarding their writing. Right, and it and doesn't so, doesn't have to be just about work; it can be about leadership, it can be about whatever you want. Absolutely. Just bring it in. Let's get the uh, creative juices flowing. And, and look, guys, I, start, I started the writing competition because writing my book was therapeutic for me. It was a therapeutic way to use myself and my own reflections as a means of uh, conducting like a, you know, my own internal prolonged exposure to some of my stuff. And, um, and I'm doing better because of it, I think. And uh, anything that I can think that I can maybe or have maybe done better with or because I'm going to share that here. We help one person, then it was worth it. So again, thanks for sticking with us tonight. We got more stories coming at you and Dr. Mike Blair coming up. Thank you. How are we doing everybody? This is the co-host of choices, not chances podcast, Matthew Charette. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana gun shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. One day, we will get the owner and founder, Harlan Boblet, on the show. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky's the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns in stock or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearms. If you want to get further into the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, and Kydex holsters. So like I stated before, Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at LouisianaGunShop.com. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Harlan's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosive training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state will also need to have their training in this field to complete their work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West 
in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi and God bless America. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny. Yeah.